And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. I'm Ricky Gans along with the original Natty P. And for this festive time of year, the Merry, Merry Mike. Uh, so how we doing right. today, brothers? How's how's uh, how's it going here just a few days before Christmas? Well, I pulled out the award-winning ugly sweater um, to celebrate the joyous occasion of the incarnation of our Lord, Savior, and Jesus Christ. There's Amen. a major on it somewhere. It might be on the back. Mary Major? Mary Major? Mary Manger? Yeah. You're saying a manger? manger. Oh, okay. Manger. Without You're a picture Mary. of Jesus. Right. Yeah, because you don't want to do that. You don't want to violate yeah. the second commandment. Yeah. Um, so, Nathaniel, how we doing? Um, Solid. Solid. Assured, I'm assured of my salvation. Assured of it. All right. Amen. That's that's great because that's what we're talking about here tonight. Uh, once saved, always saved. Do you agree with it? Do you affirm it? Do you deny it? Do you think it's a lie? Do you think it's error, false teaching? Uh, what is your position on it? We would love to hear from you. We know that there are people in the chat room right now. Uh, well, in the stream watching right now, we would love to hear from you. You can uh, comment below and let us know what it is you believe. And so uh, we would love to hear that from you because we're going to be talking about this here tonight on episode number 463 of G220 Radio, just a few days away from the new year, uh, about a week or week and a half, really, away from the new year. And so we are excited about 2021 and uh, looking forward to that. Tristan already telling us he affirms it. So he's he's in here in the chat. Glad to have you, Tristan, uh, listening to the program. So th this is a very important topic. Now, I I've got this, this outline that I printed out here and sent to the guys. And so this show, just so you know, uh, Mike says we're going to go about six hours tonight right. on G220 Radio. We're going to go for the very long uh, episode. Uh, just kidding. Uh, we won't be here for, for six hours. We'll be here for an hour, yeah. uh, maybe Nathaniel an hour walk 15 out after, if, if, like, if we have to. Yeah, Nathaniel will be done. Out. He'll be done. I got to go, guys. Fall asleep. Yeah, fall asleep. But this is an exciting topic, as all our topics are exciting, and so we want to uh, uh, kind of dig into this and, and talk about this this topic. And so as we, we get into this here, because we want to we take the time, we know there's a lot here that we, we want to go through, so we're going to jump right in. Um, just an over, overview, guys, on our thoughts on once saved, always saved. We're going to start breaking these down. We're going to look at some scriptures, but an overview of where we stand with this phrase. Uh, I told you guys, uh, I don't particularly like this phrase. I don't like it because we hold to perseverance of the saints, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I don't like the phrase so much. But I do understand when I'm talking to people sometimes what they're trying to say when they're using it. But I also understand that there are times where I talk to people and they completely don't understand the eternal security aspect of a believer. They're living completely in sin, which is other things that we're going to talk about here tonight, um, which is some of the objections that the people who are against once saved, always saved, usually bring up, that people just want to live in sin and revel in it. Um, and so that's not having a right understanding of what eternal security is of the believer. So that's my my overview thoughts on this, this title. I, I understand what people are trying to say, some people, um, but I also understand the objections that those have against it, uh, which is, again, why I don't necessarily prefer the phrase uh, would prefer perseverance of the saints uh, much, much more. Mike, what about you? I think it's a doctrine from the pits of hell. <laughs> just, just kidding. Disclaimer. I just watched I like our, our viewership just went down. Bam. Or I should have said it went up because we probably got those, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. the people tuning Get in that the, don't like it. The KJV know. only people. Yeah. Um, no. So I think my thoughts on it, um, I once said I affirm this. I would say I don't affirm this. Um, I think some of, as I've thought about it, some of the critiques for it is valid and that how it plays out in a practical aspect of it. So I think we should consider that there is actually a difference between the perseverance of the saints and once saved, always saved. And not only doctoral development, but also the practical outworkings in which it has. And you can just uh, see that in the terminology. Once saved, always saved. It, um, 
emphasizes it doesn't emphasize the aspect of God's work in it. Now, if someone were to flesh it out, they may bring that out, but it it has that and can lead to the thoughts like, well, once I'm saved, I'm good. Let let sin abound so grace abounds even more. In that type of mentality, I think it's a valid critique on that. Mm-hmm. And I realized that people who would who would say they hold to once saved, all saved, probably wouldn't. Hopefully, would say, well, yeah, that's not right. But I think that's where the distinction in language is important in saying that we believe in a perseverance of the saints um, for that that long-term aspect that those who are called by God will persevere to the end. Now, you can still have some of the same objections, but I think it's harder when you start working in the scriptures like the one who starts a good work in you will complete it. It shows independence of God, especially when the foundation in which the pea and tulip is formed upon presents itself in a way that think finds a more biblical way. So I, I think we can say it's a wrong doctrine. I don't think it's damnable that when someone holds it, I think they have a lot of correct truths. Um, I haven't um, been able to find sources, but it does seem like it comes from more of the revivalistic Baptist terminology. I mean, Ricky was just saying um, that Charles Stanley in a book uh, may have indicated something similar to this, which then comes from a more Arminian understanding of it, which then would kind of be really weird that I choose to be saved by God but then I don't have the opportunity to walk away and not be saved anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, so that, so those are just kind of my thoughts as one who would say, yeah, one time I affirmed this naively, not understanding all of it. But as I became fully understood of the perseverance of the saints and what that entails would kind of reject even the language of saying, I believe in once they've always saved. What about you, Nathaniel? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. To me, it's uh, it's one of those thought-terminating cliches. Uh, it's uh, trite and tired from overuse. It's uh, something you, you can't disagree with, um, and it stops further deep thought on the matter, kind of like saying Black Lives Matter or uh, women's rights or human rights, uh, you know, those kinds of phrases that you can't disagree with. Like, once you're saved, you of course you're always saved. But um, it stops you from uh, from thinking more deeply on it. And I'm just not a fan. Um, I've also seen it misapplied, uh, seeming like that revivalist uh, kind of uh, origins of it would be like, uh, once I've said the magical incantation or prayed a simple prayer, then I'm, I'm good to go and I can't be unsaved. And if that's how it worked, um, then it would be true, but that's not necessarily how things work. You don't recite the magic words and God's obligated to save you. Um, I, I am more for biblical and confessional language, uh, that wasn't invented 25 years ago. Well, one saved, always saved might be a little older than that, but I like to use the language that Christians have been used using for at least hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. And I think perseverance of the saints is a fuller, more well-rounded way of looking at it. And I think that you could say once I'm saved, I'm always saved, which is true. And um, maybe you have thought deeply on that. However, the Bible talks about us having been saved. It talks about us being saved and it talks about how we will be saved That's right. uh, so at each of those points um you you are saved as a christian as a born-again christian you are truly saved during each of those process i, I don't know i just let's uh let's think deeply and not just uh use these one-liners 
That's, that's, that's what I will advocate. Yeah, I think that's important too, Nathaniel, is, is, is we see this a lot. All of us evangelize, all of us, you know, have, have engaged with people who you're trying to get somebody to understand something and think a little deeper into the scriptures rather than just this cliche type of Christianity um, that we're speaking about here tonight with this once saved, always saved. Um, Mike started off joking, but I, I will say, I believe this is damnable teaching. Not once saved, always saved, excuse me. The the ones who deny it or believe that you can lose your salvation. And here's why. Because you're putting an emphasis on the works to keep something. You mix up justification and sanctification, which that can be an easy, or, you know, not an easy, but that could be something where, again, somebody's not thinking these things through deeply. But you're putting an emphasis on working to maintain your salvation. That's works-based. Now, to be fair, I do understand there's a difference between somebody teaching it and somebody just being re reciting what they've been taught. So I think that we have to be gracious in conversations with people and kind of find out where they are. And if they're a proponent saying, no, if you sin, you lose your salvation. Well, then, sir, you're preaching a false gospel because that's adding works to that. Now, I do, again, to be fair, there are those who don't take the position that um, those who deny once saved, always saved, they don't take the position that you, if you sin, you lose your salvation. But, and I think, Mike, you alluded to this as well, you can walk away from that, which is that Arminian type of thing. If you, can, if you can choose to come freely to God, you can choose to walk away freely from God. So it's not that you're sinning and then losing that salvation. You just stop believing and walk away from the faith. So in that instance, I don't think those people are necessarily... Um, promoting a false gospel they're, they're not even promoting any gospel they've just walked away from from any type of faith that they professed at all all right so as as we've talked about perseverance of the saints and nathaniel why don't you explain a bit about what we mean when we say perseverance of the saints all right so i uh, did a little uh study in the confession and in the in the confession it's uh, chapter 17 it's also Chapter 17 in the Baptist Confession as well. Um, you mean it's I, that, I like, I like chapter how, 17 in the Westminster Confession. Yeah, yeah the Confession. Yeah, I like Any, how you did that. I, I caught We caught that. Yeah. All right. So I'm sure that uh, a reputable podcast has already done an uh, entire show on this in the past. If you look back at our past episodes for the London Baptist Confession, we will have touched on this already. So I need not reproduce all of that here. I will go through the three sections that we have uh, in uh, the Westminster Confession as I looked at them, uh, briefly highlighting for you. So uh, the first section, uh, really short, though, they whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein till the end and be eternally saved. So that's basically a first first section of chapter 17 is an articulation. It's actually a little longer in the Baptist Confession, uh, but in the Westminster, it is a short articulation of the doctrine that once God has you, you're God's, and you will persevere in the faith until the end. Uh, all those who God has accepted will be saved in the end. Um, the second section, uh, flesh flushes, flush, flesh, fleshes out, throws some flesh on the bones of uh, that first section. Uh, the perseverance depends not on your free will, but it depends on the immutable decree of God flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace from which ariseth also the certainty of and infallibility thereof. So basically what that second section is talking about is that because God is who he is, because the father is unchangeable and his love is unchangeable for you because Jesus Christ intercedes for you. And because his death on the cross and his righteous life is most assuredly efficacious for your salvation. And because he daily prays or intercedes for you as a Christian, and because the Spirit abides with you, you will have certainty uh, of the 
infallible covenant of grace. Uh, it's an irrevocable covenant. God has decided uh, that all who are included in this covenant would be saved. And because of God in his nature, you will not be, uh, you will not fall away. You don't fall. You, if, you, if you were left to your own devices, you, neither would you ever be saved, nor would you be kept saved. But it depends on not on him who wills or him who runs, but on God who has mercy. Third section of this chapter, uh, it reads, Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of the remaining corruption in them, uh, in the neglect of the means of preservation, fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure, uh, grieve the Holy Spirit, and come to be deprived uh, of some measure of the graces and covers have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt, and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments on their on themselves. So this uh, third section, though you will persevere in the end, or to the end, though God keeps you, though Jesus prays for you, that is God the Father keeps you, though the, uh, Jesus Christ intercedes for you and has died for you, and though the Spirit abides with you, you may still, as a Christian, sin and sin grievously, uh, thus incurring what it says in that exhortation addressed to you as a son, uh, experiencing uh, the chastisement of God. And so that would be the short rundown of the Confessions, uh, Westminster Confessions. Chapter on the perseverance of the saints. Uh, some time ago uh, at Heritage, we had a sermon series on the five points of Calvinism and uh, stop me if you want to interact uh, guys. Uh, no, we had a sermon series on the five points of Calvinism and our pastor, Mike Waters uh, intimated that uh, each point actually has a counterpoint. So uh, a lot of times you'll hear um, from some of the detractors. Oh, the, the Calvinists believe in a workspace salvation is because they, say you got to persevere. Well, the counterpoint to perseverance of the saints is also the preservation of the saints, that being what we've already discussed uh, in section two of chapter 17, that God is the one who preserves you. And because God preserves you, you persevere um, is another way of thinking about it. Um, I don't know. I talked for a while and uh no, I think that that's good and it's very helpful. Uh, and as you said, yeah, and I think as you said, you know, people can go back and listen to the series that we did on that chapter in its full, you know, entirety, uh, and get more out of it there. I think what what we see with the Reformed theological position on this, the view that is held by the Reformers, um, is trying to have a balance there. Like Mike, you was talking about, you know, this balance where we do see people that seem to be moving forward in the faith. And then falling away. Well, well, what what is that? We're trying to have this right view of scriptures and see this and 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 rightfully understand that, as opposed to just saying, "Well, this person was justified. Now they're no longer justified. This person had experienced new birth. They've been born again. Now they're unborn." So we have to try to reconcile those things. And I think in the Reformed faith, with perseverance to the saints or preservation of the saints, because we're being preserved by God, that that we are trying to balance that and rightfully see what the Scriptures are saying. Because there are warning passages here, and we're going to talk about some of those, um, which is, this is why I wanted to go to uh, Matthew chapter 13 first when we get into this, because I think a lot of people get that parable of the sower and the seed wrong. And I've had a lot of conversations with people that get it wrong, and I think that will help. But before we do that, there was something else, Mike, I wanted you to kind of maybe explain to people, because what happens often in Scripture, and we all can be guilty of this, maybe we're reading a passage and we're not realizing there is descriptive and prescriptive what we're reading. And so maybe you can explain a little bit about that, because I think that could be helpful. You also, you got to understand context as you're reading things in context, but sometimes, you know, well, Mike, I'll let you explain it. Yeah, I mean importance of Bible reading is how to understand the genres in which you read. And this comes important in this discussion because you have Matthew 13, which seemingly is in a narrative form, though it's a block of teaching. Um, 
with it, or you consider John 10 or John 6, you have these languages, and then Philippians 1 and Philippians 2, and looking through that, but then you have Genesis and Exodus. What do we can think of? One of the memes you showed talked about David sinning with um, adultery. What do we do with that and how this plays in? And so when we consider the perspective, the prescriptive and descriptive understanding is that there are rules God tells us to do. Those are prescriptive. We see that in it. So when Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it is God who works within us. Well, that's something we do. We work out our own salvation. We are thinking about and dealing with it. That is a command for us to do. Descriptive comes in when a lot of times in narrative. Now, just because something is descriptive doesn't mean it's prescriptive. And I know I have misunderstood that point when we consider sorry nathaniel x and how when great moves of salvation happen faith precedes baptism that's just the example i thought of nathaniel and we can deduce and that how it continues to work out that there is a seemingly connection that one has faith and then is baptized and now if you're presbyterian we would just say that would be like abraham there you go forgot your cop out and but that we also see like with david who had multiple wives that's descriptive so we have to ask well is that prescriptive well we know early on in the text that god made man and woman We know that kings of Israel weren't to acquire themselves multiple wives. That's in the law in Deuteronomy 17. So we understand the descriptive within itself, also within the canon. I think we can even say that David sinned using Jesus's words as Jesus helps us to understand what Moses wrote. And so we need to understand that, that, just because God describes something, though he describes it accurately, doesn't mean he approves of it. Mm-hmm. But that also should take into kind of account, should also take into account that sometimes we are to learn, like of Moses, to have faith. And that would be prescriptive. We are to have faith in God. And so to understand those will help us to kind of better understand why I think it's better to understand a perseverance rather than a once save, always save in the idea of eternal security coming through it and to look at the text carefully and understand them rightly in order to do that. And I think this also applies to when you take the natural logical steps of the passages yeah that's that's very helpful for us and, and again like i said there are times we can miss it maybe we, we we overlook something but that's how we gotta try to view scripture and see is this describing something or is this actually prescribing something we are supposed to do and uh we got our friends over at the patriotic uh patriarchy podcast over there uh giving us compliments on our beards except for the one up there you know, or over there without a beard. Uh, so he's down on my, yeah, I saw, I wherever he's a, a beard face. Yeah. So we're glad to have our friends over at the patriarchy podcast. You can go check them out at the patriarchy podcast. So, uh, but one of the things I want to do, Mike, you brought up this meme. And so I want to go here and share this and I want to share some of the, the, um, comments that, that came up. This is just one meme that, uh, I had put up, uh, today uh, i think it was today i did this one you mentioned about king david and it says eternal security proponents have a double message when they fear 
or when they feel concerned or cornered, I'm sorry, I can't even read the old meme. Uh, when they feel, that's not my meme. When they feel cornered by the charge that their doctrine is a license to sin, they say an immoral person was never saved, but they won't say King David never was never saved because he turned to adultery and murder. Instead, they will insist David had never lost his salvation. That means they believe there are adulterers and murderers with salvation. Eternal security is a license to sin. And now here's some of the comments that uh, came in. Let's see, we have Howard Ames saying, read comments uh, and objections, please. Strawman line of reasoning. What do they teach on those government schools? What do they teach at those government schools? Most assuredly, not formal and informal logic, including the rhetoric fallacies like strawman. Uh, Justin Goins, he's a pastor, uh, wrote Psalm 51 and 32, show the real heart of David. After he committed these sins, he confessed them before God. And God uses David both in the Psalms to call the person uh, who does this. Uh, <clears throat> trying to read it here, I'm stumbling over my own word, over reading skills. Uh, confess, repents, because that's what David did. Uh, blessed, and so he says um, they called him David. Blessed, David knew God and relied on God's grace and mercy to make him right with Him. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Sonny Hernandez says, whoever made this meme is either relying on a straw man towards those who affirm perseverance of the saints or they who are used to interacting with antinomians. Uh, and then we've got Bucky Wilford here who says, sounds like a legalistic meme. Uh, we are all sinners even after we are saved. We aren't saved by works and we are not kept by or kept saved by works. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is a gift from God. I'll show you another one here. I'm not going to read all these. We've got one here from Tony Miano. You can take a quick look at that. <clears throat> and then we'll move on here. we got a couple here. Larry Schultz, a friend of ours, he said, This meme is confusing. Perseverance of the saints with perfectionism. Uh, let's see. And our last one here, we got Eric Medea saying, being a former Arminian, I can tell you that the theology is a never ending cycle of grasping at straws and painting over cracks in the veneer. And so uh, that's just a few responses that we got there on uh, that meme. And so <clears throat> just kind of posted a few of them out there just to kind of get feelers and see what people's thoughts were. I, I was thinking I was going to get more people that were actually those that deny the once saved, always saved uh, doctrine. Uh, and I was hoping to get some of those to have some conversation uh, and maybe have them tune into the program here tonight. But as I said, I wanted to go to Matthew 13. And the reason being is this is the parable of the sower and the seed. Now, it says here in, in chapter 13 of Matthew, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow and he has sowed some seeds fell. And as he has sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out, or choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you read on and you get into uh, chapter 18, it's going to explain this parable, okay? But, and I, and I want to encourage you to go and read that and just read the whole chapter, but I think it's important because I've had conversations with people and th this first one, as, as Jesus explains what this is, you sow these seeds down, birds come and take it away. The devil's coming snatching this up right away as it's going down. But then you have the rocky and then you have these thorny grounds. And I've had people say to me, one of them is unbiblical or one of them is not good, good soil. It's that, that one that first comes and they take it away. The devil takes it away. But these other three are believers. And so the rocky believer's a believer, and then, you know, it gets rocky and starts to wither. And then you have the, the thorns. But the reality is only one of these soils is good soil. Okay, the seed is this gospel that Christ is sowing. The only one is the good soil. That's it. This is not you... Uh, 
are a Christian for so long and then adversity comes, trials comes, the things of life comes, the cares of life, the thorns and the rocks and all these things come. And then you're just kind of, I can't do it no more. I'm going to turn from the faith. No, it exposes that it wasn't good soil. It didn't take root. You guys want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, it says right there, others fell among good soil. So only you're, you're absolutely right. It says it right there. Only one soil is good. But uh, I will uh, add that uh, the other two soils, the other two bad soils, three out of four of them look like good soils at first. So, I mean, uh, they look like something's growing. It's just uh, only one out of four is actually, uh, I mean, maybe say like uh, elect soil or something. That's where God causes the seed in his providence as uh, the sower scatters it, where it falls on good soil. So same same seed falling on three different types of soil or four different types three look promising but only one is uh yeah i think that's an interpretation jesus gives as well yeah but i think even more to that you can't take verses one through nine and then 18 through 23 without looking at 11 through 17 or 10 through 17. The, the structure there doesn't allow it. You have the same story that is interrupted in the middle in which Jesus tells us, hey, I have the secrets to heaven. Some people listen, some people don't. What happens? Three soils who don't and one who does. I think it's important to understand so that while he's talking about the soils and using this allegory, he's also talking about how he has secrets. Yeah. And he speaks in parables that some may see and some might not. Right. So when you get to it, those who are planted in the rocky soil or the soil that is, um, thorny thorny yeah that you have this idea is that they seem to listen but they still don't know the secrets they still don't understand and i think some people will look at that and say well they fell away but the question is they may have like a real experience and not to deny that they may have thought they were saved. They live the Christian life. But this is why the perseverance of the saints language is better. Because as we see here, they these the rocky soil and the thorny soil did not persevere. Mm-hmm. And if it's God who starts the good work in us and he sees it to the completion, that means there's something there. And what it would be would be in a sense wrongly placed faith Mm. faith placed in maybe i said the prayer i said the prayer i walked the aisle i did the christian thing you hear that yeah a lot in evangelism i think what we're confronted here in the parable is yeah you did those things you had this experience and you thought you were saved. You considered it because that's what people were saying in a lot of times. But that's where having an understanding of perseverance corrects. Yeah. Because when you understand salvation rightly, of turning from sin and embracing Christ in faith, that is what keeps and holds. Yeah. Listening to the words of Christ, holding fast to the word of God. Amen, brother. And allowing the spirit to work on your heart to deepen and strengthen your faith. Yeah. Amen. You so when we look at the parable, the seeds that don't produce fruit. I mean, we say in the end, didn't truly believe, weren't truly regenerated. Obviously, from a reform perspective, we lead that way. But this isn't to deny that they had some experience. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we're quick as reformed believers, as I rabbit trail off here, to deny their experience. Yeah. 
we should see. I mean, well, it can be very emotionally driven yeah. as well. Cause like, I, and, and this always pains me when I have conversations with individuals who I, I one time was downtown Cleveland talking to uh, this man who I was trying to give the gospel to. I was giving him the gospel. I was sharing these truths with him. He just wasn't hearing me. He was, it was kind of going over his head, so to speak, because he kept, I know that the word doesn't return void, but he kept saying, no, I know God's watching out for me. I've been on the streets. I've been in jail. I've been shot this many times and, and I'm still going. God's watching over me. Right. But he did not truly believe the gospel. He wasn't walking for the Lord. He was still living in sin. He was he was completely didn't understand really who Christ was. He didn't have a, a good grasp of the gospel. But because he had experienced some harmful things in his life and lived and survived, he's God's looking out for me. Right. So I know God's got me. Or that other emotional aspect where you things are kind of going wrong in your life and they start to turn around. So you go and you say, I trusted in the Lord. I heard this message. Then I get a good job. I'm starting to do better in my finances. And you're trusting that must mean God's with me. And then when those things mm-hmm. go south, the rocky ground, the thorny the thorny you know uh, soil, then those go south. And it only exposes that, as you said, Mike, it wasn't trusting in Christ. Ultimately, it was trusting in these experiences that are coming to me, these emotional uh, feelings that I have now, you know? Yeah, most definitely. Um, I've been doing, uh, going through John six in my, not John six. I was in John six because I'm reading through John in my morning Bible reading. Um, you got these people, a bunch of, uh, what they call rice Christians. They came and they ate, uh, when Jesus fed the 5,000, they really did see Jesus perform this miracle. They really did eat until they were filled and really did see 12 baskets left over. And then they really did see uh, that whenever they didn't see Jesus go, but somehow he was magically, I mean, miraculously, I guess would be a better way of saying it, on the other side of the lake when they show up. Um, so they really did have these uh, experiences. And uh, Jesus says, you got to eat my, my flesh and drink my blood. And they say, this is a hard teaching and walk away. So, I mean, they, these are people called his disciples and it says his disciples left. And uh, the only ones were those, those fertile soils uh, that stayed. Peter says, who, who, where else are we going to go? You got the words of eternal life. And so, yeah, these are real people who really followed Jesus around. And uh, we have similar things uh, today by way of analogy, where people really do go to church. They really do uh, tell people about Jesus, just like Demas did when he was trooping around with Paul doing evangelism. Like Mm -hmm. These are people who really, really look like Christians, and uh, they they would fall away. It's uh, a real thing. Yeah, and I want to go then in Matthew still, uh, but go to Matthew chapter 7. Now, again, like Mike was saying earlier, and, and we want to emphasize, read, read the chapter in its context, because right before where we're going in, in verse 21 of chapter 7, it's talking about a tree and its fruit, okay? So this is, again, we're, we're talking about, as as the Patriarchy Podcast says, the belief is in the roots, because, you know, when something comes and starts shaking that up, if that's good soil, it's going to have strong roots, right? Uh, and that that is the problem, so that's a great point. Um, but he says here Psalm in verse 21, one. yeah, Psalm 1. And so, what's that? I just said right, right. Amen. So here in verse 21 of chapter 7 of of, of Matthew, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I think that goes to like what you was just saying there, Nathaniel. People can go out on the streets and evangelize. They can go to church. They can be giving to the homeless shelter. They could be doing all these things on the outside, appear like they are walking in Christ, claiming and professing to be in Christ. But I think what what people tend to overlook in this is he casts them out, but he says, he declares to them, I never knew you. Not that I knew you for a while and you fell away. He says, I never knew you. That intimacy between God and this person that he's speaking to here, that he's saying to depart, he never knew in that saving relationship. 
Yeah, I think it's important to um to look at that that when we we look at it, that's what the Pharisees were. I mean, what are the woes? You're a whitewashed tomb, but you're full of uh corruption, decay. You look pretty on the outside, but you ain't pretty. And I think that should haunt us. Yeah. As Christians. That's why I think when we consider the once save, always save, and look at where it stems from, though it holds or seeks to go back and recover great truths. When we say once save, always save, and compare all three seemingly growing crops that we saw in Matthew 13, we under we don't fully grasp because there are those who do who say they do the work of the Lord, but they never trusted in the Lord. They go out. They're like the 10 spies who were scared when they went to the promised land and came back because there were giants in the land, though God has already told him he'd conquer them. And to think about in a sense, kind of, the aspect of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the conservative religious movement in their time, and they had all their laws and law-keeping. And, I mean, Paul talks about it. He's the blameless before God in his keeping of the law. But even Paul recognizes that as his life as a Pharisee wasn't good because it wasn't built on faith. I think you see here in Jesus's own way, as he will later side, tell you who are those who will be cast away and who are known as that's those who hear his word. I mean, that's the very next aspect in the kind of the ending of this statement is you've heard all these things. Are you going to do it or not? And that's going to be the true test of your discipleship. But all of this starts with an understanding of having faith in God. That's yeah. a good point. No, go ahead, Nathaniel. That's a good point, Mike. <clears throat> um, it is uh, earlier we were were talking about the misplaced faith, um, and any time I've ever uh, used this uh, passage in preaching, um, I always uh, highlight um, what what what's their faith in verse twenty two. It's it's all in the things that they do. Um, it's a misplaced faith. Did we not prophesy? Did we not uh, cast out demons? Did we not uh, perform many miracles? So it's, they don't come come to Jesus on the last day. Say, didn't we do the will of your father to uh, believe in the one whom he sent? You know, they, they don't say that. They, they rely on the, these, these works that they've done, which shockingly, um, Judas is standing there as Jesus is preaching this sermon, talking about uh, prophesying, uh, casting out demons and performing miracles, which is uh, really spooky when you know the end of the story that he got the same uh, access to the Holy Spirit, uh, went trooping around with the, the 12 disciples as they were sent out uh, to, to preach and to cast out demons and perform miracles to prepare the way for Jesus to spread the kingdom of God. So. Uh, misplaced faith so so that they don't they don't trust in him they trust in them yeah and that's that's basically what i was going to say there is um this idea that i think some of these some of these individuals here in matthew 7 are not people that are saying i did this and i did this because they are just saying but look at all these things that i did that should get me that should give me some type of favor or some type of merit I think they really believe that they're right with God, but again, their their faith is misplaced. It's not in the right thing, the right one, I should say, not thing, right. but a right one. And, and and that's the problem because they're really believing themselves to be, and we see this all the time, do we not? Within the American church, I, I think with, with all the stuff going on in 2020, I think it's exposing 
a lot, and we're starting to see people just com- compromise. And we've been seeing it for for years. I mean, here in America, we've been seeing well-known pastors begin to compromise and, and whatnot. But we're seeing more and more of this being exposed because what's coming into 20, 2020? We have this this pandemic. We have this election cycle. All these things, and people are are showing what they're really what they're really putting their faith and trust in, and it's exposing mm-hmm. that. And, and, and it's really sad to see, but it's a reality, you know, and, and some people, depending on your eschatology, you're going to say, look, look, it's getting closer to the end because look, no, this has been going on since the entire entirety of the church. You have people who are not of good soil, who seem to produce these works, seem to produce these quote unquote fruit, but it turns out to be, as was said earlier, no good soil because it wasn't able to sustain those roots. It was just withers away, had nothing to take hold in. I would agree with them. It's getting closer to the end of time. Well, we're always getting closer to the end of time. But... Yesterday, yeah. Yeah. But not in that dispensational sense. No. All right, so what I want to do right now is, uh, you know, again, like Mike said, this would be a long show. We're not going to do six hours, but uh, uh, we'll try to stick around our, our normal hour time. Um, but I want to talk about some warning passages. Now, there's three of them you can go to. Uh, there's Hebrew. We're going to go to Hebrews 6, 4 through 8. But there's also ones that are thrown out from Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 26 through 29, and Hebrews 10, 38 and 39. Uh, there's a couple warning passages that uh, uh, you can look at. And, and I want to say that, that as we read this, um, it's not that we don't see warning passages in the Scriptures. I think God is telling us these warning passages so that we will... Hold firm. We will stand true to the faith that we claim. Not that because if you don't do these things, you're going to be losing your justification. Justification, when Christ saves an individual, they are justified by faith in Christ, not by works that are done afterwards. Those works will happen. We believe that there will be fruit in in a person's life. But again, we want to be careful not to look to the works as the justification. That's evidence of the fruit that we are in Christ, not working to merit that. So going here to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, it says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land, <clears throat> excuse me, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. And I think you get to verse 8 there. What were we just talking about in Matthew 7? Thorns and thistles that come up, right? So this is producing that. But I also think this this is important here where it says in verse 4, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. And sometimes I think when I'm talking to people who deny eternal security, they say, well, see, they've been enlightened as if they've been saved. It's not that they've been illuminated by the Holy Spirit to regeneration. They've just been enlightened to the gospel, these things that have been taught. And I also think, and and we haven't talked about this, so we may have disagreements here, but I also think that um, in Hebrews, what what is happening here is we're talking about the writer of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul. You may disagree, may not. Um, But anyway, uh, he's writing to these, these Jewish believers, these Hebrew believers who are forsaking this great gospel of grace and going back to that old covenant system, which has no sacrifice. And that's why I don't know if we're all on the same page there or not, but that's my take of what I'm reading here and, and what I uh, believe of what is being said. I concur. With, I mean, you look at it, um, they're leaving the elementary doctrines, or they're not leaving the elementary doctrines going in maturity. They're not laying down foundation of repentance from dead works to faith towards God. Mm. I think when we look at that, we see these people 
Jews. I think this is addressed to Jews. I'm not sold it's Paul. I think Paul is somehow connected, but I don't think it is the writing of Paul. Just throw it out there. And uh, that there is a sense in which they're talking about the covenants. It's going back to the old covenant, looking for another Messiah. And the warning passage makes us consider is Jesus, as Paul would, as Peter would say, who else do we have to go to? You have the words of life. Or is it, do we kind of wait for another Messiah? And so when we consider that, I think, you know, in the proper context, it makes more sense for the Jewish people to say, well, maybe he's not the Messiah, not the way we saw as he later develops all these themes from the Old Testament. But one thing to consider in this warning passage, if if, let's consider it was from salvation, if someone who falls away from the faith, according to this passage, they can't come back. They can't. So if they believed and they fell away, there's no more a day of salvation for them. They have been cut off from heaven for eternity. And if we're going to go that route, you're saying some things. We're all in trouble. Yeah. If yep. we can fall away, well, then we have it. But so it should make us think about it. Is Christ the one or is he not? And what warning passages are good for is to show the heart of the reader. Are you one who reads this passage and then ask you the, ask the question, well, have I fallen away? Am I, have I stopped believing? And the ones who doesn't stop to consider these things should be in most worried about their soul. The one who is flippant with it. That's what warning passages do mm-hmm. for those who are sensitive to their walk with Christ, who are focusing and trying to do it. They should read a warning passage and examine themselves to consider what it's saying. And to ask for the assurance from the spirit as Romans eight would tell us and have God, the spirit tell our spirit that we are born of God and to, to bring up, to bring the calming fears to calm our feels fears about our salvation. But if you just kind of please like, Oh, whatever. And yeah, I'm good. Just kind of flip it. You should, you should be most scared. Because those are the people that kind of have the, well, I'm good. I'm saved. I'm good. And leading to the a life of in sin, not crucifying oneself to the cross, not crucifying the sin that easily binds us, as the author here would later say, to consider one's position that should be a scarier position. Obviously, um, they are probably flippant with that also and not heed the instructions of the word. But I think we should understand that if this is talking about salvation, if someone falls away, they can't be saved again. Yeah. Because there is no other savior. So either you're saved by Christ or you're not. But I don't know if I... Seems like a hard line. Say I can walk away from the faith and God can't save me anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've always understood this in the context of uh, a covenant community. Uh, That being uh, people like Demas, people like uh, Judas, those uh, perhaps in our context who grow up as church kids and walk away. Uh, and then, uh, you know, go into full-blown apostasy. Uh, that's always 
how I've under, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but it's my understanding of it. Um, is, uh, I mean, we see Demas and Judas is the most clear example of one who, uh, having partaken of the heavenly gift, uh, and share, become a share in the, the um, the, uh, Holy Spirit, hey, he, he walked away. He did not leave uh, that uh, which was in the world and kept looking for some something, some greater messiahs, perhaps these Hebrews uh, would have been doing to uh, go back to Jerusalem even though it's about to be destroyed. So um, I think that the text would have direct application to those who would uh, either come into the faith, um, stay a little while, show themselves to be bad soil or children who grew up in the faith. I mean, cause there's real, real blessings that come from being within the, the covenant community. Like you, you daily partake of the, or weekly partake of the word of God, you uh, have those things imparted to you. Um, and then once you leave to go back as it were to uh, what you left behind, um, I think this is definitely a real warning about apostasy. And, and like you said, Mike, I think that for those of us who are elect believers, um, we should be somewhat frightened by this and um, use it to test ourselves to, to see if we're in the faith, as Paul says in, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10. Um, yeah, but I, I think that the warning would not truly be a warning if it you know, there wasn't an edge to it for real. And I think, I think, think that certain people, uh, I don't, I don't know how much I'd put stock in like, let's go see if we can determine if this person's a waste of my time to talk to or something, but I think it's a real warning. Yeah. And that's what the warning should do. As you said, it should draw us as believers, as those who are professing faith in Christ to examine ourselves from time to time. I mean, our assurance, we can know that we're in Christ. I mean, the Bible tells us that. We can have assurance of our faith. But we should at times, because we all go through seasons, do we not, where we struggle more more so than we've done? Maybe this season we're not in the Bible for as much as we've been, or this season we're struggling. There's, there's issues that are causing us to devote time elsewhere, or, or whatever it may be. We may be struggling. And so we have to take these warning passages and say, what what's going on here? I need to examine what's happening, um, and not not necessarily look at these as saying, "Well, once you walk away from the faith," because again, I grew up in church, I grew up hearing the gospel, I grew up hearing these things, and then when I got old enough to not go, I didn't go, and I went into the world. I thought I was a, a believer because I, I never stopped believing that Christ came and died, but I wasn't even saved. And if I was to take this passage, I just walked away from the faith and went and lived in a worldly life. So then I could never be saved based upon their understanding or reading of this passage. And so I, I think we gotta we gotta really understand what we're reading and try to get it in its context, understand prescriptive, descriptive uh, language. Now, one of the scriptures that that we, we see that we often go to because there are people that walk away. Well, what does John tell us about it? First John 2:19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us. They would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So John's telling us, look, you know, the reason that they go out and they don't remain, they don't stay is because they're not with us to begin with, because if they were, they would have remained. And, and Nathaniel, you brought up Demas more than once tonight. You know, we also see this with some of the, on one of the memes I shared, it had different names up there. Sometimes even Judas is thrown out there. We talked about Judas a little bit tonight, but sometimes he's even thrown out there as being a saved individual, you know, and then he, look at what happened to Judas. Um, <clears throat> but it's a scary thing for those who are trusting in something other than Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. It's a scary thing. It's a scary place to be for you and we don't want you to be in that but if you are in Christ we do want you to understand that despite the fact that you may have seasons or times where you may struggle right what does it say in Romans 8 this is a passage that those who deny once saved always saves will go to and try to discredit but what does it say in Romans 8 in Romans 8 
verses 31 and and down. This is where we'll end tonight. Um, but it says, What then shall we say to those things? Obviously, you got to go back to see what he's talking about. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he will not also with him graciously, how will he not also, excuse me, with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Hear me? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, it goes back to Psalm 44, 22, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's just powerful uh, affirmation of what God is doing. He's the one that justifies. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Right? Any comments, brothers, before uh, we, we, we close it up here on, on this passage or anything else you guys want to add? Yeah, you're in creation. That means that since you're in creation, you fall into that, that uh, nor anything else in creation heading there. Paul's pretty comprehensive. He highlights everything that can't separate you from the love of God. If you're, if you are a born again member of the elect, then you cannot be separated because you can't separate yourself because yourself is in creation. It's not there. A lot of times the walker away over the faith position, uh, try to say, Oh, but your sin can separate you, but it doesn't say that it says nothing in creation. You can't separate yourself. You may sin and you may sin grievously, but even that, uh, you can't separate you. God justifies. Who are you to condemn yourself? Um, yeah. God showed his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. We should consider that. Ephesians 2 talks about how we once... We're dead in our trespassing sins, following in which we once walked, following the course of the world. But God saved us to walk in a new life, to walk obedience to Him through the power of the Spirit, that we can become more holy as He works on our hearts, as we work out our salvation, so that we are transformed into the one whom saved us, that we can be holy as Christ showed us a person to be holy as and that when we die we will be glorified our bodies our corruptible bodies will be remade into imperishable bodies and we will get to live in the presence of the lord because god sought us god came for us christ came in the incarnation to save sinners we celebrate his birth because Easter's coming, in which he declares before all the world that Christ has come to save sinners. But God has come to save sinners. He does it through his son by the power of the spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, that's been our show on Once Saved, Always Saved. Um, and uh, I'm not sure what we'll do next week. We'll see. But uh, <clears throat> that's our show here for tonight. I do want to let you know what we've got coming up in the new year. We still have our series on the 1689. That we're only on chapter 21 is which the one we just finished. So we still got some, some work to do there. Uh, we also have our series on Proverbs, which we're going to be continuing in the new year. But we also have a new series that we're going to bring out. Uh, and it is How to Have Your Best Life Now. 
um, looking at spiritual disciplines uh, for the Christian life. And so <clears throat> we're going to be doing that in the new year. And so we're really looking forward to that as well. If you have any ideas or thoughts on any uh, shows that you would like to see us do here on G220 Radio, you can email us at g220radio at gmail.com. Again, it's g220radio at gmail.com and uh, send us your ideas and we may we may just do a show on that and uh and so patriarchy podcast wants to do a show on uh once bearded always bearded <clears throat> so <laughs> those guys are always clowning right so uh yep. when they come in here but we appreciate those brothers and uh yeah we just want to let you know that these are some things we've got coming forward in the new year you can look to we also still have uh, we had a conversation between a discussion on calvinism between Dan Beitzel and Christopher Connor, we have another one of those coming up on January eighth, uh, and then we also have a possible, possible, so far possible uh, interaction between uh, on the topic of does the Bible speak on whether or not a woman can be a pastor, and so we may have a debate on that, and we're, we're looking forward to that in the new year. So a lot of things coming up in January or after January of 2021. So stay tuned. Make sure you follow us here on YouTube, on Facebook. And uh, go and subscribe to us on Podbean if you listen to us rather than watch us. And uh, stay up to date with everything we're doing here at G220 Radio. We've got a lot of things in the new year we're looking forward to. Hope you have a wonderful Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Guys, any last words you want to say before we sign off? Awesome dads grow beards and talk about theology. I don't have any kids, so when I get kids, I'll grow a beard no wife either if any we got any single lady listeners out there welcome g220 dating yeah there we go start a new uh, uh maybe we'll, we'll partner with the patriarchy podcast and get a website going there on christian dating all right so that's been g220 radio until next time god bless good night